We return this morning to Hebrews chapter 11, beginning at verse 32. Hebrews 11, 32 to verse 40. And what shall I more say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who, through faith, subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tormented or tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us, should not be made complete, should not be made perfect. For those of you in the adult study in 1 John, should not be made teleos. Father, help us as we return to this great expression of living and enduring faith to understand the continuity of the saints, the perseverance of the saints over many generations, both in the era that we call old and in the modern era that we call new. Help us then today to appropriate these truths to the benefit of our souls and to our own expression of faith in practice. And for that, we will praise you In Jesus' name and for his blessed sake, amen. Leading up to this holiday weekend, 
Christianity has often been characterized in false terms and claims by various media outlets. Much of what is called Christian faith and practice, as represented on television and at the movies, and on the radio, and on the internet, is indeed void of biblical specificity and truth. Even Christian entities themselves often misrepresent the plain truth of Christ on a weekend like this for the sake of a buck. The Hall of Faith chapter ends in a way that cuts right straight through the fog of that modern foolishness and refreshes the sincere soul with eternal straight talk. We've called this section the rest of the story. As the Old Testament record of faith and faithfulness is broad-stroked in summary, beginning at verse 32. It is important that we continue to resist the propensity among believers to take the persons listed in Hebrews 11 and, uh, and, uh, and to use them as a cue uh, to retell the entire story, even their entire story, as found in the record of the Scripture. We will certainly miss the point of the chapter if we simply retell the stories of Gideon's fearfulness or Barak's a dependency upon a woman named Deborah or Samson's strength or Jephthah's vow. We must not simply rehearse the familiar storylines in which David takes down the giant Goliath or tell of the less familiar ministry of Samuel in the days of Israel's national transition. According to verse 32, all the Jewish prophets, although specifically unnamed here, serve as examples of living faith and enduring faith, as do those individuals named. The other unnamed references cast a very wide net over much of the Old Testament era. It is fair to say in the consideration of Hebrews 11 in the whole, that you really have a broad-stroke summary of the entirety of the Old Testament era. All to commend this idea of the continuity of faith in saints of all generations. Therefore, I think it's at least prudent that we uh, spend just a moment by way of introduction and remind ourselves of the succinct role of the Old Testament scriptures and the experiences of the Old Testament saints as to how God uses them to help us who are living in what the Bible calls the last days or the latter times. Those times in which, according to the scripture, the end of the world shall come. So flip back just a few pages with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 
And I'd like to think for just a few moments and meditate by way of introduction at verse 11. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11. Paul wrote to the Corinthians saying, Now all these things happened unto them. Number of events recorded in the Old Testament scriptures happened to people, some of which are named in Hebrews 11, many of which are not named in Hebrews 11, but all those things happened unto them for. All those things happened unto those individuals of report. What's the report? The faith report. Things happened unto those individuals of faith in God. Things happened. They had experiences, and their experiences... Uh, that happened from Genesis to Malachi, happened for what? First word, and samples. And they are written for our admonition or exhortation, upon whom the ends of the world are come. I pick three key words out of that verse, and samples, Admonition, which means exhortation, and the word ends. The end. Example, exhortation, and end. Example, exhortation, and end. The Old English word, ensamples, is easily understood by the modern word, example. But the depiction of the Greek word is stirring. The word means to make a mark or to imprint something upon, like a volume of ink upon a page would be an ensample. The Old Testament saint is said to imprint upon the mind and the thinking of the New Testament saint concerning the way or the experience of faith and faithfulness. There is an impression that comes out of the reading of the Old Testament, Genesis to Malachi, concerning those old era saints and the exercise of their faith that makes an impression, that makes a mark upon us as it relates to our thinking and our living and our enduring in the day in which we live. Those individuals had things happen unto them for ensamples, for the benefit of impression upon us. And, says verse 11, they were written for our exhortation, or admonition is the English Bible word, which means exhortation. The Old Testament saints, examples for our exhortation are particularly valuable to us because we live near the end of the world in the saving program of God. And therefore, the end of all faith. You and I live near the time when faith becomes 
void, useless, meaningless. Why? Sight. When Christ returns and we see our Lord, we don't need faith anymore. We're here with him. He's with us and forever. And so the Old Testament saints play a very phenomenal role in regards to we New Testament saints as examples, as exhortation or admonition, particularly regarding the fact that we are closer to the end of it all in the program of God. And so when we study the faith that is generated in the lives of people in the Old Testament era, knowing that they had far less Bible than we have, far less knowledge of God than we have, you and I are bolstered in our faith in God. That's the way it is designed to work. Back to Hebrews chapter 11. Consider then the masterful summary in overview concerning the conflicts and the conquest uh, by faith, of course, in God as indeed reported in the Scripture. There is certainly something profitable for us in making a list of action verbs associated with the Old Testament faith of saints. Words like subdued, wrought, obtained, stopped, quenched, escaped, verses 33 and 34. All of those words point us to the truth that we often sing, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. But graciously and specifically relieving to me and I would think relieving to a number of you here today is that there is a noted shift in experiences from the grand and the glorious to the problematic and persevering Right in the middle of verse 35, there is a cataclysmic shift. If I were to speak of the shift in the way that the professors in seminary speak of it, I would say there is a significant paradigm shift in verse 35. And indeed there is. 35 starts out, women... Receive their dead, raised to life again. Boy, that's good. Subduing things, that's good. Rot, rotting, uh, rendering things, working things, making things, having them be wrought, that's a good thing. Obtaining things, oh, that's a good thing. Stopping the bad, oh, that's a good thing. Quenching the vile, oh, that's a good thing. Escaping the edge, oh, that's a good thing. Sign me up for that. Sign me up for that. Sign me up for that. 
And so because of that, when Christians and ministries and missionaries write letters, they say stupid things. Like, we met our goal, property purchased. We met our goal, facility built. We met our goal, 40 were baptized. We met our goal, 50 professions of faith. We met our goal, we met our goal, we met our goal, we met our goal. And as they do all that goal promotion, one who is thoughtful might ask, how much of that glorified God? It would seem that we only are comfortable reporting our Victories. Is that real to your life experience in Christ? Mine either. And so I'm telling you, I, I could just bawl at the straightforward blessedness of the word of the living God that tells it like it is. Not the way it's reported in the letter. I'm so thankful for this cataclysmic shift in emphasis in verse 35. Look at this. And others. And others. I note that the Greek word is alos, giving insight to others of the same kind. Other people in the Old Testament era that had the same kind of living and enduring faith as did the named individuals in this 11th chapter, and others were tortured. I don't want anything to do with that. Uh, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial. I don't want nothing to do with that. And cruel mockings and scurrings. I don't want anything to have with that. And moreover, bonds and imprisonment. Keep that away from my life. And uh, they were stoned. No thank you. And they were sawn asunder. Was it a magic show? No! We're tempted. We're slain of the sword. We're wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted and tormented. We don't tell that story. And so when we stand before young people, we say, oh, you want to trust Christ? And you'll say, how much of that stuff has glorified God? I am so relieved. I mean, it's just a weight off my chest to think that some of the most faithful, God-honoring, enduring saints of the former era were tormented, were afflicted, 
were imprisoned, stoned, wandered, without things, afflicted. It's just relieving. Because I tell you the truth, most of the people that I personally am convinced that they know the Lord, they tend to live like that. And I think that there is a very deceptive thread running through modern Christian expression. It is all about the wind! And I'm not talking about the glorious resurrection of Christ. Graciously, relievingly, beginning at verse 35, others, with the same kind of living and enduring faith, had earthly experiences that remained difficult without God's quick intervention or deliverance, and sometimes never on earth. I would like to subdue a kingdom. I would like to stop the lion's mouth rather than endure suffering for righteousness sake or be imprisoned. But real faith, real God-glorifying faith has over the biblical record brought into evidence here from the Old Testament saints both very different kinds of earthly experiences. One of those categories of earthly experience uh, can be summarized uh, by glorious accomplishments and happy victories. And the other category of experiences on earth can be summarized as difficult endurances and honorable defeats. And so I believe that it is extremely important that we remember that either one of these earthly life experiences may result from real God-honoring faith. I understand the rebellion of my own soul. I understand the rebellion of your soul uh, against that truth, preferring to think that God must live up to our sense of win and fairness, treating all his children the same. That does not work well in an earthly family. It certainly does not fly well in God's family. Some people can honestly say, by God's own provision, we bought the property, we built the building, we baptized 40, we had 50 professions of faith. And many others 
Not at all. (laughs) Even though they trust the same God and have exercised due diligence all along the way. The heavenly parent does not embrace the worldly idea that good boys always get good toys. Job had five misdirected friends that insisted if he was living right, it would go right, as those men called right. Each of those five were terribly wrong in Job's case of faith. When my boys were young and at home, both of them having an athletic bent, we were living for the bulk of their boyhood years in Iowa, and yet they always rooted for the Detroit Tigers. We were living in Iowa, yet they always rooted for the Detroit Lions. We were living in Iowa, but they always rooted for uh, the Detroit Red Wings. Can you guess why? Because of the influence of their earthly father, that's why. Because I brought my boyhood loyalties with me when living in Iowa, when living in Florida, and in living in Ohio before returning back to Michigan. I brought those loyalties with me all along the way. My boys had a sports bent, and I taught them as a dad based upon what I uh, saw in the best of athletes. I taught my boys that they must learn to win with a sense of grace. Shake the opponent's hand, smile at him, say, good job, don't spit in his face, don't trash talk. Learn to win with a sense of grace. It's very commendable in an athlete. And then I also tried to teach my boys and learn to lose with a sense of dignity. Losing a game is not the end of the world. Growing up, when I played table games, I always won because I always found a way to cheat. (laughs) I'm not lying. The pressure for the win is great, even among the people of God. Have you ever stopped to think that that might not be the life God gave you? That that's not the life God gave me? Yet like Job, verse 38, indicates that those scourged, stoned, and sawn asunder obtained God's witness to their faith in which he, God, took pleasure. If I bring pleasure to God because the property goal failed, the facility goal failed, because there weren't 40 baptisms and there weren't 40 or 50 professions of faith, Uh, If God is pleased with me, with you, without those reportable things, well then, should we not we be pleased? Verse 38 indicates that the individual believer who does not experience dynamic deliverance earthside often raises the greater testimony to the glory of God. People place value upon such honorable losers 
but in the estimation of heaven. Saints like that are heavenly high. God said the world is not worthy of such faithful and godly saints. And David said it, that God is ever faithful in his earthly afflictions in the lives of his children, from which in eternity God will deliver us from them all. Nonetheless, earthly wanderings will indeed for all God's children give way to heavenly wonders soon enough. But here would be my first point. You cannot tell genuine faith by its earthly report or result. The only way to evaluate your faith in Christ is with an open Bible, with the Scripture, you can evaluate the blessedness of your faith in God. That brings us then, verse 39, to the continuation of faith. All the Old Testament examples of faith, both the ones that experienced deliverance and those that experienced difficulty, obtained. Obtained. Verse 39, and these all having obtained a good report through faith. Think of that. They all obtained God's pleasure, God's favor, through faith. Yet all the Old Testament examples of faith, whether they experienced deliverance or difficulty, continued to live in faith, and then, as we saw previously in the chapter, they all died in hope. They all died, still hoping, still expecting something that never was made real for them during their earthly lifetimes. They never received in their days on earth the fulfillment of God's promise in Christ. In contrast to their experience, just stop to think about our experience in faith today. And it's really phenomenal to put yourself into the right time era or period, as does your scripture. I want to go to the same passage that we read at the close of the last hour, and I want to pick right back up where we were then and keep reading for a little bit. First Peter chapter 1, and I want to call your attention to verse 3 once again, where you have this uh, wonderful connection between God the Father, God the Son, and our hope by nature of bodily resurrection. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two, an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Your bank might close. Heaven is open. You have something on deposit in heaven reserved for your benefit relative to inheritance guaranteed by the resurrected Christ. Verse 5. Who, you who, are kept by the power of God 
through faith unto salvation, the completion of salvation. Saved, saved, and saved. The word salvation in verse 5 is talking about number 3. Not saved, not saved, but saved. Verse 5 again. You who are kept by the power of God through faith unto complete or final salvation. The end gate, saved from the penalty of sin, being saved from the power of sin, will be saved permanently from all sin. That's saved. The eternal saved is what's in view in verse 5. Through faith, we get to that salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, in the last day, as promised. Wherein ye greatly rejoice. That's what Our Lady sang about in the last hour. They sang a song in which the, the, the hook or the tag of the song is the next time. The next time the Lord comes, it's going to be different from the first time the Lord came. And, uh, and we usually delineate that in preaching by talking about the fact that the first time he came, he came as a lamb to be slain for the sins of the world. The next time he comes, he comes in power and great glory. And so you have clear reference to that next time. Again, verse 6, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, manifold trials. There are three time periods referenced there. Uh, the time that was, the time that is, the time that will be. Uh, when you think about the time that will be, wow, you rejoice in that. Boy, that's rejoiceable. When you think about the time that is or that was, that's rejoiceable. Hence, on a day like today, uh, we think about the death of Christ for our sins and the resurrection of Christ. That's rejoiceable. What he did, it's rejoiceable. Look back, it's rejoiceable. Look ahead, it's rejoiceable. And then, for a season, if need be, you're living in days that in and of themselves are like not so rejoiceable. Are they now? And if for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial or testing of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried or tested with fire, might be found unto the praise and the honor and the glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What did that say? That said that if you wrote the letter and told the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, and you said, we did not meet our property goal, we did not meet our facility goal, we did not meet our baptism goal, we did not meet our, our profession of faith goal, but we have done our best to honor God as best we know, and we're living with a sense of the praise and the honor and glory of God here and now, but especially to be made manifest when King Jesus returns. Whom having not seen, ye love, in whom now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. You get a taste of what is coming for us in Christ. And that becomes the steady balance point for a life of honor to God here and now, regardless of goals met 
or not met. Receiving the end of your faith. What a happy day when faith shall be no more. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed. Who? Moses. Unto whom it was revealed. Who? David. Unto whom it was revealed. Who? Well, people like Joshua and Rahab. To whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you, Hebrews chapter 11, by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Angels were awful happy to meet Moses and David and Joshua in the flesh and uh, in the sense of their testimony in the flesh, their earthly days of sojourn, and angels will be happy to meet you so that you can tell your story of God's faithfulness to you during the days of your earthly sojourn in the flesh on earth. Last verse, 13. Wherefore, in light of all that just said, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is one powerful appeal. Now let's get back to Hebrews 11 quick. And I'll be quick. Because we move to the third point of emphasis here in those last verses of 1 Peter chapter 1. And now we'll read of it here in Hebrews 11, again 39 and 40. 39 again. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, comma, we talked about that. All the Old Testament saints obtained a good report regardless of their earthly experience in positive or negative result as we would judge positive and negative result. And these all having obtained a good report through faith, <laughs> comma, received not the promise. What's the promise? The fullness of Christ. They received not the fullness of Christ as promised. Verse 40. God, having provided some better thing for us. What's the better thing for us? What advantage do I have over Moses, David, Joshua, Zechariah? What advantage do I have? I have the advantage of living on earth post-Calvary. Post-death for sin post-resurrection, 
post-ascension. The only thing left on God's big picture plan is the return of Christ. And I live just before the return of Christ. And so on that basis, boy, I'm telling you, God has provided some better thing for me and for you. And then watch this last phrase. That they, Moses, David, Joshua, Zechariah, that they, without us, should not be made complete. Nothing God promised Abraham, nothing God promised Moses, nothing God promised David, nothing God promised any Old Testament saint can be fulfilled apart from what God has promised and provided us in Jesus Christ. Wow! One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And yet Jews, Gentiles, and church, saints of every generation, soon to be gathered in one, namely, Jesus Christ. And nobody has lived on earth closer to that reality than you and me. I do surely want to meet Moses. And according to this scripture, I can be sure that he really wants to meet me. What a happy experience. That grand and glorious gathering shall soon be. Now we're going to return to verse 40 next week as we open Hebrews 12. And then you'll be able to see, as never before in the series, exactly why we've been singing in the conclusion of our study time in the instruction hour on Sunday morning. Let's talk about Jesus. Because if you want to characterize Hebrews chapter 12, following Hebrews chapter 11. It would be kind of like this. Here you go. Here's Abel. Here you go. Here's Enoch. Here you go. Here's Moses. Here you go. Here's Abraham. Here you go. Here's David. Here you go. Here's Joshua. Here you go. The Old Testament prophets. Here you go. The people of faith, Old Testament. Hebrews chapter 12. Hey, but let's talk about Jesus. That is Hebrews chapter 12. Father, we recognize in anticipation of next week, should you tarry, that no one has ever walked this planet as a human being with greater manifestation of trust and obey than did our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, he who we know to be no mere man, but the God-man, 
was the only one capable of dying for our sins, of proving the conquering of death and sin by the resurrection out of the tomb and affirmed his status as king by the ascension. It is for him and for him alone that we do wait. We pray with the Apostle John, even so come, Lord Jesus. And should this not be the day, or the days of this week not be the day, then help us to live in that particular way of faith as so beautifully portrayed in this 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And prepare us that we might, above all, make our talk and our walk all about the Lord Jesus. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen.